Hello, I'm Dr. Amalia Gondas Malka. Welcome to Womanity Woman in Unity, the show that celebrates women's milestone achievements in their struggle for liberation, self emancipation, human rights, democracy, and much more. Joining us today is Professor Ntanga Nedzani Mapoli, who heads up the Department of Agriculture and Animal Health at the University of South Africa, otherwise known as UNISA, which celebrates its 150th anniversary. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Hi, good morning. Mapoli, for me, agriculture is synonymous with food. And when I look at various literature, for, especially from the United Nations development in terms of sustainable development goals, they indicate that food and agriculture feature strongly in many of the SDGs because they're interconnected with almost every aspect of the economy, environment and society from hunger, malnutrition, desertification, sustainable water use, loss of biodiversity to overconsumption, obesity and public health. And SDG 2 specifically aims to end hunger, to achieve food security and improve nutrition and promote sustainable agriculture. Your department plays such a crucial role in developing people, processes and products for the agricultural sector. Please tell us about some of your key impact targets for the department. Thank you so much for the invitation. And um, within the Department of Agriculture in Health, which is the it's under the College of Agriculture and Environmental Sciences at University of South Africa, UNISA, we we actually focus more into the agriculture production and also the agriculture uh, teaching and learning. Uh, that with the idea of uh, improving the knowledge of the farmers so that they can be easily produce their products and also looking at the animal welfare of, of, of the animals or our livestock that we have and also in terms of that, uh, the plant diseases. The idea is because we look at the ASDGs and then you look at the issues of um, the poverty and you look at at issue how do you zero hunger Uh, how do you then play a role as a department so for us it's the production how do we produce better as a country for the continent how how do we do that and 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 we focus on that uh, actually guided by by the sdg goals and also by the um african um Union also goes the agenda 2020 the agenda 2063 the Africa we want and also the um, also the NDP the South African National Development Goals and also the University Goals itself that actually it, it talks to the agriculture space itself on how best do, do we solve the issues in the community in the industry that we have so we're focusing much more into that kind of a state and our 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 focus is into how do we produce more and how do we produce better and how do we produce what we have that is more tolerant to our own environment so that we can produce even when the climate is changing we can be able to produce better so that that has been the focus within the department Great focus to have efficiency, productivity, sustainability, and importantly, as you're saying, looking at what we are producing and being able to produce more of that in in a better way. What would you say are some of your greatest challenges in this role? 
So, so, so if you look at the agriculture space, the challenge that we have is the gap. So if you look at uh, the industry and you look at the academic, the, there is a gap in between. And until when we bridge this gap, that's where you, 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 you can't really do much. So there is this need of bridging this gap finding the academic and researcher and the industry working together. And, and that's where I see where the lack of uh, production or us struggling in terms of improving the production within the country, within the continent, it's it's actually, it's because of that, because of this, uh, the bridge, until we build the bridge in here and make sure that we close this gap because the academics, they need to understand what are the problems that the industry is facing. And then also they need to understand what the community, the community is also facing. So more often the challenge is we as an academics, we, we wanna research and then we publish. And sometimes you find this is staying in the shelf. No. Then it does not get to be translated very well to the uh, farmers or to the industry. And th then that way, it, it, it creates a huge challenge because you, you're facing then issues of the, the, there's no enough production in terms of poultry. There's not enough production in terms of milk. There's no production, in, enough production maybe in terms of any other crops that we can think about that maybe together, if we had to look at the problem, the instant problem, you know, like now there's been because of the climate changes, there have been a lot of diseases that comes in, and then that diseases becomes challenges to the farmers. But the, the challenge, those challenges, we as the academics, we go, we we search about it, we we research, we we get the findings. Then the finding goes to the articles. The articles is all known and all that. But then how about that that farmer who's experiencing it daily? What are those activities that we can say to the farmers and academics or as a research and say, no, you need to do this. That, that way, next time when there is army worms, you, you're going to need to overcome. Next time there's a swine fever, you're going to need to overcome. When this, there's a food and mouth disease, you're going to overcome. You get my point. So that is the challenges that I think when you look at the colleges of agriculture, in both in all the university, including the University of South Africa, because that's what we see, is the bridging that gap and bringing in the stakeholder, the industry, also coming in handy and said, no, we're going to share with you the problems that we have. We need you to bring the students. And actually, the other thing I think also that we're lacking is, is our students that we are training are going into that industry and be able to start to realize what are the problems, how our, our, our research um, master's and PhD uh, topics, uh, titles, should be formulated based on the challenges that we have. And, and I think that is... Until we can like overcome that, that's where we are. That is such a vital gap to breach of being able to become more practical. But also on another dynamic, and for me, this is possibly the nuances of UNISA being a distance learning institution, is that it really has this enabling attribute of being able to provide learning opportunities to people who are not in, in the contact space, who could be in a different country, who could be in a different province. But that is also, I would imagine, one of the challenges of being able to ensure that there's a quality learning that takes place, but it is at a distance. Yeah, and, and I think, I mean, you, you think about agriculture and a distance <laughs> education, it's another, it's another role because, you know, agriculture includes all practical work. But again, coming back to the 
uh, being UNISA as an open distance learning university. I think that to me, when I look at it, I look at a space or as a university that it's reaching out to those that they can't reach. And, and, and I always look at those that are in the remote, remote areas. You get my point? Where sometimes it's also about financial issues. Sorry. If I were, I were to move to come to a contact university, I would need to have an accommodation. I'm going to need to have a funding that it's paying my fees and, you know, my daily expenses and all that. But UNISA kind of like brings this model that says, no, hang on. You don't need to come to Johannesburg. You don't need to come to Pretoria. You don't need to come to the bigger city for you to study. You can study where you are. And then it, it again, it provides you with this opportunity to say, okay, you can learn online. And then you're going to have tutors who can teach you online. You're going to have like now, UNISA just started this, um, um, a new program this year started that academics, they are told that they need to have a phase two, like you, you have like an online classes every week. So as I'm teaching my module, I have a class every week that I meet with my students. And that one hour, we actually looking at the content of the module and then where their struggles. And so it, it brings that interactions. And you can do that. You join in through your cell phone. You join that through your laptop and all that thing. So, so it can't like allow you that space and flexibility that you can learn. And we do, we do also a teaching learnings where you do video recordings. So you're going to have a video that is recorded that you can stay and do it at your own space at your own time in the evening when you knock off if you're working so when you come back that's when you start to listen to the to the classes and then you can actually start to do your assignments and prepare for your exams so i think it it, it actually enables people they don't have that opportunity to be able to study at their own space and and that, that is one of a kind of university because if you look at it if you focus more into contact it as i said it needs you to have a certain resources to be able to study but this one it kind of like allows you that flexibility that I think it opens for African. Imagine, I mean, look at African as we are, the whole African continent also. You look at um, people at a rural, rural, rural areas. I mean, and that look at also at a rural, rural areas of South Africa, like my village also, which is in a rural area. And if anyone is studying there through UNISA, I always said it's, it's it becomes so easy for them. Yes, there will always be an issue of a digital divide. That, that, too, that That's something that so far, as much as we haven't improved in terms of ICT infrastructure in Africa, that we would always face. And until the governments maybe taking a stand and say, how better do we build the ICT infrastructures you know, across the continent or within the country? And then that will solve a lot. But UNISA, I think, is starting to get into that space to say, hey, come learn at your flexible time where you are. Whether you are in a rural area, you should not feel like you are disadvantaged to have any education. I have two degrees through UNISA and found it an incredibly empowering, allowing me to work and allowing me the opportunity to study and, and get my qualification at the same time. You're listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity, and today we're talking to Professor Intanga Nadzani Mapoli, who heads up the Department of Agriculture and Animal Health at the University of South Africa. We would love to receive your comments on Twitter at Womanity Talk. One thing that I noticed when I was looking at the structure of your department is that there seems to be a really strong representation of women. Was that a, a conscious decision in the department? And are there university policies which promote the advancement of female academics? 
I mean, if you if you look at uh, South Africa as it is, and 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 I think they, that's coming with the issue of equity, um, and you look at inclusiveness, and also starting to have women also in education, and also women in leadership, and you 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 look at previously where where university would be more structured, you look at the academics, more seniors would be men, and I can even tell you when you look at my department itself, professors, the full professor are all men, and we have about five professors and they're all male male candidates and then you go down you you find then associate professors coming to be women so when i started to in 2020 as the head of department my goal was how do i bring also women as a senior positions because what i looked was we had male that were much more dominant and then for me it was how do we then start start this transformation and be able to also encourage women that you can start further. You, you can actually have your PhD. You can become a senior lecturer. You can do research and become associate professor. You can also become a, a professor. So I'm hoping or in the, this year, next year, we should have a professor, a full professor as a, as a black woman within my department because we did not have that opportunity. And that's why. And it, it's just about the issue of equity and the, the, the issue of um, inclusive and diversity in this. Having a female VC helps with regards to encouraging one that women pursue more opportunities of leadership, but also that men accept women in leadership roles. It will always be a challenge for men to accept. I always think that way, to accept being led by women. But I think um, to have a woman as a VC for the university, I think it really brought a lot of changes. And I think it, it brought also a lot of, um, uh, you know, encouragement to women that you can make it. You, you can do this. You, you can actually reach to this kind of position. And the other thing that also uh, she came in, she introduced um uh, feminist, uh, in feminist issues. And which is, I think, as women, sometimes these are the things that we need to stand in and, 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 and say, I can do it as a woman. It doesn't mean because I'm a woman, I just need to have a degree and, you know, I to look after my family. No, it doesn't really just end there. As a woman, remember, I always say, you know, that I always go back and say, previously, women were helper, but helper in which sense? In, in a way that, you could help until to the end, up to the higher level. Doesn't really limit you to help as 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 as, as until like now you are a mom, you raise the kids, the kids now educated, your job is over, you can just cook at home. No. To me, I always see as women as like being a helper is to educate your kids, isn't it? You educate your family. You make sure that your family is actually prospering. That means there's a leadership in that family that is happening. So having the VC, to me, as I go back to Inisa, having the VC as a woman, I look at the colleges, a lot of us, including myself, actually, when I actually first listened to her, uh, the, the, to her strategic plan for the university, I look at the catalytic niche area and I'm like, wow, such a determined woman who's standing firm to what she believes on. You get my point? Because you look at things that is the catalytic niche area that when you look at Tunisia before, you kind of like, 
hey, she's a far-fetched name. But as she comes in, she brought them closer and she started to say, but we can do this as the university. And she stand firm in those catalytic niche area. And now that's where we started to see, yeah, actually, these are the things that we're so much behind. And until we bridge this gap and having this kind of uh, a niche area within the country, that's when the country will prosper. You get my point. So, so you need that kind of a guidance. So I always said, you, you know, and uh, when you're seeing a woman like you also doing that, you come like you are so much more encouraged and said, you know what, I want to study forward. I want to be in the leadership. I want to study. And, and I think the idea is not just be in the leadership. I think it's, do I want to make a difference in my country, in my continent? How much can I do for the continent as a woman? And I think that's where I always said to the, to, to the woman that wants to be in leadership to say, it, it, it's the attitude. Are you going there as a leader to make a difference and have the impact as a, for the country? Or are you going there just uh, to educate yourself? Because there's those also self-needs, you remember, that just comes in. But what I like with her, she's so open into there and said, how do we grow UNISA into, into this digital era that we are, into the 4IR era that we're in? And how does it grow much better? And that is where I think... To me, having a VC as a woman, it, it's, it's so encouraging. And I think it, it, it also makes life changing for so many women, all in the rural area, all, all in the smaller communities. You get my point. All the, also the women that were sitting in position, lower position, thinking, well, I can't make it. I think it gives, her, it, it gives them this encouragement to say, yes, I can do it. It sounds as though she has been a motivator and an influencer for you. And given that you have a strong academic background and you have this um, sense about you that seeing her was a catalyst to go and do better. But for some people, they need a little bit more help. How do you see the role of mentorship to help develop female leadership? And I think that's where we, we're lacking a lot. You see, the, this is, and not just only in, in women, but if I can just come back to women per se, I mean, really think about it this way. Everyone needs a mentor. For you to be able to do well in any stages, in either academic or either in nomad in your career or in your job, or even as you're growing up, I mean, as you're growing up as a young woman, like a church, they would say, okay, please hang around with the older women so that they help you to teach you how to be a mother. You, you get my point? So it goes with a career. You need that motherly. You need that mentorship. You need someone that needs to mentor you. And this is one of the areas that within also within the department, we're trying to bring it in to say, let's have this young emerging academics starting to have the mentors. And this is where we go to the University of Known, university that we know they've been really doing so well all over the world. And then we, we sit, we negotiate collaborations and we said, um, as a young emerging scientist, you go, you collaborate with a, a scientist that, that's sitting like we have now a mentorship in Michigan State that we started. And that the idea is this expect they in Michigan would be able to young, to actually mentor this young woman as coming in, isn't it? So even within South Africa, that's what we said. We said, you women who are already in the leadership and who are already in the bigger position up there. How do you mentor these young people? For me, I started very early. I mean, when I was just a researcher, I started to take most of uh, young women as my master's and PhD students. And for me, I would mentor them 
both ways in uh, I mean personally in their career. So as we are doing thesis, on the other hand, I'm still teaching them already. By the way, you still need to balance life. You, you, you get my point. So there's that kind of a leadership to say, and you can't start here. You can't just have an MSc and sit down. No, 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 no. Go further. Do your PhD. This will help you to be able to compete at this at this stage. You, you get my point. And also it, it broadens your knowledge so that whenever where you are somewhere, you're much confident on what you're understanding. And it's easy when you're planning, how do I make a difference in the community where I am? Because as, as a woman or as a man, I mean, at the end of the day, it's a how do you make that difference? So I believe in mentorship and, I, and that's why we have now a mentorship program within the college and um it's actually now kind of like helping me because I didn't tell you this. And currently I'm acting as a uh, deputy executive dean of the college. So it's helping me to take these young women and say, you can, you can actually um uh be able to grow much better. So 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 that's where we are as a college. And the whole UNISA, I always said, I think mentorship, it's what we should gear up on. Unisa and mentor these youngsters as they're coming in. You wear a number of different caps with all of the responsibilities and the duties that you perform, both from your teaching outputs as well as in terms of the, let's say, the extra value add that you're giving students on their development besides an academic education. I'd like to do a little bit of an introspection now on, on yourself uh, and go back to you and the work that you do specifically. You, you're a specialist in animal genetics and genomics with a focus on the use of genomics technology to improve livestock production by identifying genomic regions or variants that influence production traits, growth performance, feedlot performance, meat quality, disease resistance. Can you unpack some of that for us? Yeah, so, so you know, um, honestly speaking, I think first when I um when I get um opportunity to study, when I started my career, I, I I'll tell you the truth. When I started, when I think about agriculture, it was something that was far away from me. Ne? So I was like, oh my goodness. So I, I like this thing of uh looking at the orthotics and prosthetics. And I think I, it was gonna be a very good use for me to to be a technician and do that. But you know, as you you grow and then you go to grade 12 and then you go to university, some other thing can like limit you. But I want to tell you something. So lab work has been one of the things that has been my passion. And I think when you're young, you just don't know the application maybe is going to be either way through human health or through agriculture or way. And I think that's where I struggled with when I started. But I'm so thankful of them, people that were around me that actually kind of gave me that opportunity on how best how best actually I can educate myself and I can grow. So when I actually finally chose the career, it's like I, I had a very good background in terms of animal science and animal production. And the, then I, I started to work in the lab where it was all about forensics and it was about the stock theft. It was about um, the species identification, meat mislabeling uh, as you, you buy your meat, you think it's a beef while well, it's not a beef and things like that. And when I started to do this kind of analysis, I was like, oh my goodness, this is so interesting. So yes, because I like molecular stuff, I think that's where it takes me there. So when I look at our country, we're experiencing a lot in terms of um, climate changes now. If you look at it, you, you need to have something that will boost up your production. And I always say to people, it's not about uh, GMOs products. 
It's about what you are farming with as a farmer. And I think I wanted as an, as an academic to bring that out to the farmers to say, by the way, if you look at really how things grow, you can actually select much better on what you have on your own farm. You don't need really to introduce another cultivar from another country. You get my point. So th that's why this my whole um learning started and I started to look at where we in South Africa in terms of production. And luckily I, I was exposed to the USDA training where I, I, I visited ARS in, in Montana State. And that's when I, when I was just starting to do my MSc and I did the whole research of my MSc there. And that, that to me, it has been a very good learning path because I manage at that point, I really managed to be able to uh, figure it out on this is where South Africa is. This is where U.S. is. Mm -hmm. And when I started to compare and I started to see how people were learning, that's when I was like, what can I bring as a scientist? And I said, okay, if I look at the molecular traits and I look at the traits that we can select and we can breed, we can we can make sure that we improve the production. And that's when I started. And I, okay, I go back to the farmers and I said, what are you struggling with? And a lot of farmers said, okay, we're struggling with ticks. There's a lot of ticks in the animals and our animals are dying. And I'm like, show my goodness, how do we actually try to resolve this issue? Because we are in a tropical area and our environment is always hot. So we're gonna always have to have the tick infestation as a challenge to the farmers. And that's when I said, okay, when I was doing my PhD, I was like, okay, now I can move from the normal traits, production traits, and also look at the disease traits. And we look at the tick resistance. And the idea there was farmers are struggling because in a weekly basis in summer, they have to dip their animals and that becomes so costly. And also they have to call the vet. And imagine you are a rural farmer, so a smaller a community farmer or emerging farmer that you don't really have so much money. And then you need to make sure that your farming is sustainable and your animals are healthy. So that those are the things that I looked at and I said, how do I help them? How do I teach them that actually within their population, within the head of cattle that they have, they can actually select better. So that's when I started to study this and looking at the tick resistance or is it a trait that is it is it heritable? And yes, one of my studies, my objectives was just to unpack that to say, yes, it is heritable and we can actually breed better to avoid a tick uh, infestations. And if and you look at our Nguni cattle, our Nguni cattle in South Africa, they're very resistant, they're tolerant to ticks. And the best way was it's not a matter of you go, you cross them. No, it's a matter of you can select them better and get those bulls that you, they actually take tolerance and then you bring them to production and then you start to maximize your production. And then that's when I actually look at my other study now was looking at another breed and seeing how best if we use this, our indigenous breeds here, and then we use these foreign breeds also, and then we breed it better and we say how best we come up with a product that is much better so you actually for all commercial and rural farmer can like sort it out it must be so rewarding seeing the impact of looking at the selection process and benefiting farmers because one if they've got better resistance to ticks there's less disease there is less cost in terms of the dipping. There's less cost in terms of calling out vets. So it means greater productivity. How does that make you feel? 
to me, what is so rewarding is when I go to the farmers and I say, did you start to do your selection, your bull selection? What bulls are you using? And I, and I also encourage them to take a DNA test. And I said, okay, give me the hair samples. We will make sure that we can check your bulls and make sure your offspring also, they are also coming in as like tick resistance. You get my point? So seeing that the farmers are not wasting so much money into Akara sites, that, that, that's actually so much rewarding for me. And I think that's where we need to solve this problem because a lot of farmers are still struggling. Why? Because of lack of knowledge. As they select their breeding stocks, they don't know, Uri, these breeding stocks, it, it, that's why the animals are susceptible to diseases. And this is what you need to teach them. So whenever when I see one farmer that actually we started research on and then we go back, we said, okay, this is what we find. So you need to select bulls like this, like this, like this, and then it's going to help you. And then for me, that is the rewarding part. Fantastic. With our show, um, you know, one of the things that we focus on is about looking at issues of, of gender inequality. Farming is traditionally a, a masculine-based discipline. Can you tell us about some of the obstacles that you've encountered as a woman whilst building your career and how you overcame them? I mean, when you grow up as a woman, you told the agriculture is for men. And, and I mean, you always, you, you can like, oh, definitely. I If I'm seen as a woman going to agriculture, I, men will run away because this thing, these stronger women, you can, you can map on. And I think also, I think also this is going to our basic education. Young kids are coming in, not understanding exactly what is agriculture is all about. You would have challenges as a farmer, as if as a woman in agriculture. But I think it's all about how do you strategize and make this work? But when I look at agriculture, I said, it's not all about plowing. It's not all about working hard, maybe then the farm. I think it's all about coming up with a better solution and see how best do you farm. You, you get my point? So it, if, 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 if kids, these youngsters coming up and understanding agriculture is not wearing the overall every day. And, and, and I think that that's the mentality that we need to get out of it because that's what, that was me years ago. I'm, I'm like, okay, now the only degree I can do is agriculture. And that means I'm going to have to work in the farm. And I remember, as I was studying when we go for internship programs and we were, we, we were actually placed in the farms and I'm like thinking, oh God, goodbye with the city life. You know, I thought I could move from rural area to the city. Now goodbye because I'm going back to the farm. You get my point. But I always said it's depend on what you are doing and what you want to achieve in terms of agriculture. And women or men, both they can do the job very well done. I, I, I've seen it when I visited farmer. I don't even feel as a as something that is so scary driving out there to the farm. I made it be, because you know what? It's my goal that I want to go and assist the farmer. When I was working for Agriculture Research Council, we will visit a lot uh, farmers. You get my point? Now when we are at UNISA, this time this, there is a community engagement projects that we need to drive out and assist the farmers. And, 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 and we go there, we, we go, we show them sometimes physically how you plant this crop, how you, you, you actually do your poultry production. How do you care that? I mean, my mom is actually, she's farming with poultry and I see her overcoming because she's doing so well. So as any women, you can actually do well in the space of agriculture. It can either be in science. It can either be in the management. It can either be in the farm 
as a laborer and you can work it out. I mean, women, as they were growing also, you would take your, your, your tools to go and plow the land and be able to plant something. And most of the women are the ones that planting the backyards and those backyards becomes bigger farmers. So, so, so to me, it's, it's, yeah, it seems as like for career, when you, you think about it as a student, no, but I can tell it's rewarding. You've highlighted the breadth of opportunities, uh, whether it's physically, whether it is strategically the value that you're providing as a scientist and the different spaces from uh, flora to fauna, that there really is a variety, but highlighting the fact that it is part of the economy and contribution to society. One question that I ask all my guests on the show is about some of the factors that they feel have contributed to their success. People talk about values, uh, faith, a particular person. Please share with us what have been some of the key drivers to your success? Oh, yeah. So my grandmother and my, my mom, I think that, that, that I, I think uh, so because I, I grew up in a rural village, there was a lot of plowing. There was a lot of, uh, you know, going fetch woods um, as, as, as you grow up. And I just see how my grandmother could juggle between uh, raising her kids and also making sure that this food she would plant. And then um, she would, she used to plant these beans that I actually really like. It's our, it's our, our indigenous beans. Uh, in South Africa. And 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 I I actually, every time I think when I come back from school, I always like it to see when she cooked those beans because they were so good. But it, sometimes whenever when she planted, it, it didn't really work. So I always, you know, wanted to know why this time, sometimes she would harvest good, sometimes there's no harvest. But because really, it was not something that I wanted to make out of career. I can't like but ignore it. But as as I think as like I, I I become too grown and I was going to university and I started now to use my molecular uh, kind of experience into what she has done and it takes me back and that's why maybe I am kind of like now in between on making sure that either it's crops either it's livestock. Both genetically, we could make sure that we select better where we are and then be able to do better. And I think it, maybe this is one thing that I didn't tell you, maybe quick just to tell you this. So one of the things that we decided to do is to uh, coordinate a pan-African kind of an academics un united, working together, looking at the space of um agriculture and looking at how best do we actually restore the biodiversity? How do we uh, actually minimize this unprecedented scale where you can see that we're losing our biodiversity. So you, you can no longer plant as you used to plant because sometimes in your area, it won't take it. Now we decided that we have this all knowledgeable people who are academics in Africa. How do we come together and then farm a network that we can actually look at the genome space and say, all these indigenous crops that our grandmothers were planting now, we can actually sequence them and we can study them very well. We can know how nutritious they are so that we can actually overcome the issue of hunger. We can actually overcome and have a sustainable agriculture. You get my point. So th those are the things that as a, as a continent now, we're working on, on it. And this is one project that it's really growing so quicker. A lot of academics, a lot of institutions coming together and be able to say, yes, together we can do this. And then I believe if you understand a genetics of your crops, of your animals, 
it is much easier to farm in any environment. And as much as now we are faced with drought, we are faced with climate change, you look at your winter. When you're in Limpopo, it's so hot. You, you get my point. Sometimes it gets, there's no rain, there's no lot of water. So, but you still need to plant. You still need to produce because I mean, we need food at the end of the day. So th those are the things that we're saying. We wanna prepare ourselves to produce in an in, 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 in environment where it's difficult to produce because we understand the genetics of our own species, both in planting and in also in livestock. That is a, a great initiative, having this as a, a pan-African concept, which speaks to inclusion and learnings in our different environments and territories. As we wrap up today's conversation, please can you use this platform to share a few words of inspiration or motivation for young women who are listening to us? So, uh, you know, what I can say is education is something that everyone needs to have. It is a must. It, 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 it's a must. It's a, you have to have it now. It is needed for you to be able to actually strive better in this uh, continent, especially in our continent. And again, if we have the education, we will able to utilize the land that we have very wisely, plant properly. Africa has wide open land. So if we can use this opportunity and say we want to learn, Let's use this opportunity. And there are universities like UNISA that actually allow you a space to learn at your own flexible space and where you are. So I urge women and, and, and even men to say you can actually study. And as you study, you need to have goals. You need to see yourself already. Do I just want to study to get a job or do I want to study to make a difference in this world? My goals was... I want to study and I want to make a difference. And I'm not going to only make a difference only in South Africa. I'm going to make a difference in the whole continent. That, that is my goal. I want to say to somebody uh, to say, this is Africa we want. And the, I want to see that. So I can say that get a mentor, um, get your degree. I mean, at least get your degree and you start to see where do you fit in? What is your passion? And I always said, just don't go to study for the sake of studying while you don't have passion about something because you won't make any difference. It won't even matter. But if you study because you love something, try to figure out what you love most and study further on that and become the leader. And I can assure you, every woman, every person can reach to a higher level and become the leader and have an impact. And maybe what we can do in the next few years, you would find agriculture production improve much more better because us as women, because it's our job to make sure that we feed our family. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderfully inspiring message. It's been great to have you on the show today. Thank you so much. You have been listening to Womanity, Woman and Unity, and we have been talking to Professor Intanga Nadzani Mapoli, who heads up the Department of Agriculture and Animal Health at the University of South Africa.